Romans 12, 1 and 2. Thanks, Kara. Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Thank you. All right. Exodus 3, you know, how awesome is that? Um, We have a definition up on our screen about what worship is. This is taken from Dr. Mayhew and Dr. MacArthur in their biblical doctrine book. It says, worship is the supreme purpose for which believers were redeemed. Worship is the supreme purpose for which believers were redeemed. And then it goes on to explain that this is what God is preparing us for, that eternity and heaven and the rest of our lives is meant to be a culmination in being face-to-face with the Lord in eternal worship. So all the trials, all the challenges, all the things that we're going through here on earth, it's a preparation for the eternal worship as we gather before the throne of Christ. Okay, That's, that's the end game, but we get a foretaste of it here and now. Well, what is worship? And many times the way we use that, myself included, We think of worship as singing on Sunday, or we think of worship perhaps having our devotional time, or we think of worship primarily in what we do. Now that's not completely incorrect, but if that's all we see as worship, we become, okay, this is going to sound like a big term, incredibly reductionistic, okay? We've reduced the gospel to less than it is, and we've reduced worship less than it is. Because if I'm focused and I believe worship is all about what I do, what am I missing out on? What made Exodus 3 worship? What would happen if there wasn't a burning bush with the presence of what or who many believe was actually the pre-incarnate Christ? Okay? The eternal Son of God speaking to Moses, okay, before he had come in human form as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God's glory, right? Okay? You take away God, you take away his glory, there is no worship. Okay? And you can get the biggest speakers, and you can get the best choir, and you can get the best A, B, C, D, E, and you can give people... A Metallica concert, I know I'm dated, right? That's way back. But you can give them a Super Bowl intermission and they can come out and say, wow, what a great experience. I want to come back for that. But that's not worship. Because worship doesn't begin with us, brothers and sisters. The gospel, the worship begins with God. And worship, by extension, is a right response to the glory of God. If God's glory is not present, there is no worship. We're standing in front of a dead idol, like all those Buddhist temples, and like going to Mecca and doing the holy pilgrimage. And people come back and they feel they've had this transformative experience because they fasted and they've walked around this block for days. But the glory of God is not there. Okay? And Satan is laughing all the way to the bank. What's essential, what's necessary, is the glory of God. And that, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. And as we, could I have my next slide, please? 
Thank you. As we think about Moses in the Old Testament and Romans, I'm going to try and draw a connection and then take you to Titus and Timothy, okay? So put your seatbelts on and bear with me for a minute, okay? But what happens in Exodus? Moses is a murderer. He's been hanging out as a shepherd for 40 years, I think. I'll have to go back and check. He's been on the run, okay? He's a fugitive, and he used to have the best education, Um, a prince of this world of what even secular historians say was perhaps one of the greatest and richest civilizations in the world at that time. And now he's cleaning up after sheep, okay, in Midian. And uh, he comes and he sees this burning bush, but it is on fire, but it never stops burning. And he comes to see And the Lord speaks to him his word out of that bush. It's likely our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, okay, who speaks to him. And what does he tell Moses? Take your shoes off, it's holy ground, right? You're coming in a place that you really don't deserve or you're not worthy to be in. And Moses comes face to face with the glory of God. That's core to worship. And he comes out transformed and changed. And what happens in that exchange? God gives him his name. He explains to him his heart that he is burdened for the cries and oppression of his people. He explains his promise. And he reveals himself to Moses. And he gives Moses a call. And then Moses walks away to serve the Lord. So worship doesn't stay in the presence of the glory of God. People are transformed when they come into the presence of a holy God. Okay, we are either destroyed or transformed, one or the other. There's no in-between. And Moses walks away with a call and a commission to save sinners and slaves and to bring them into the family of God. Old Testament, New Testament, it's the same God. And it's the same blueprint. Fast forward to Romans. Romans 1 through 11, the gospel. How the wrath of God is revealed against all men. How all have fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, the Apostle Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe to the Jew first and to the Gentile. The word of the Lord has come. His glory has come in the presence of Christ. His glory has come through the preaching of the gospel to the next generation. Okay, so the apostles heard. They witnessed the resurrection. But Christ is ordained through the gospel. His glory will go out and people will encounter the glory of God and the power of God through the gospel. Because in it is revealed a righteousness that is through faith. That the very righteousness of God is gifted to sinners and brings them in and makes them part of the family of God so that they can be sealed with the Holy Spirit and they can experience the glory of God 24-7. In the New Testament, who's the burning bush? Well, it starts with Jesus, but at Pentecost, flames of fire, tongues of fire come over the heads of the twelve apostles at Pentecost, and then they preach the gospel. And they preach it in tongues to men of every all different nations and languages. Okay? And those who repent, because that's Peter's message. Repent. What, what do we need to do to be saved? We crucified this man. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Those who turn to the Lord and place their faith in him. 
the Lord promises to save and to bring and to make them who were once sinners, those who were once sinners, into children and part of the household of God with a seat at his table. Okay, that's Romans 1 through 11. And God is sovereign over that process. And as we come to Romans 12, we see, I believe, okay, this is, so it's not God, it's not the God, this is my proposal to you. I believe that believers become that burning bush, okay, where Christ is the ultimate burning bush who's hung on a tree. But as the Spirit dwells in us and the Gospel dwells in us and the Word of God dwells in us, and I believe this is why Paul exhorts so often, walk in the Spirit, don't grieve the Spirit, don't resist the Spirit, fill your heart with psalms and praises and spiritual songs. You belong to the Lord. Fill it up with the goodness and the fire of God's goodness that comes through the Gospel. That those who are like the Apostle Paul, filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit and the fire of the gospel, they burn and are not consumed. The holiness of God dwells in them. They are a bright light that goes out. Okay, and so when we meet on Sundays, okay, we don't come in front of a big, huge uh, statue of Buddha. We don't come to the Vatican with all these statues and ornaments. We don't have the Virgin Mary up here, okay, We come because Christ is present in a special way where those who are burning bushes who are filled with Christ and His Spirit gather together as the household of God. And as we do so, Christ is here in a special and unique way. And as the gospel is faithfully proclaimed in word and in deed, word and deed, not just what I profess, but what I live, as we live out the gospel what we, we said today, the glory of the Lord is being proclaimed and is going out. And so that's why we can be in the third world or we can be in Ricardo's house in Colombia and there's not a great sound system and we might not understand what's being spoken in his sermon that's being preached in Spanish, okay? And it might not be the most comfortable stadium in experience, But where two or three are gathered in Christ's name and where he is present, people can come in and they can walk out like Moses, transformed, having heard the voice of the Lord, having been shown who the Lord is and what his name is, and to be burdened with a call that the Lord has called me to go out and share what I've received with others who are Desperately in need who are enslaved and in bondage. I do believe brothers and sisters that that is a biblical framework of worship. And so that is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. That you are to give your bodies or present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then your homework, go on and read the rest of Romans 12 and see how he describes the church. Members being part of a body, loving one another, overcoming evil with good, all the different things that we do to serve one another and take care of one another and love one another. Well, what we're doing is we're taking that gospel and using it and giving it to others. The good news of Jesus Christ, of what God has done to save sinners through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, 
This is a little reductionistic. It's an oversimplification. I do it just to make a point, okay? And hopefully I'll tie this together to the type of devotionals we have by ourselves and the type of family worships that we lead, okay? The essential ingredients is the glory of God that's given to us through the gospel. The power, power, authority, okay? And the beauty and glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that is presented to us only through the gospel. So you may know Jesus in a lot of different ways. If he's stripped of the gospel, that's not his glory. It's not his power. It's not his authority. Okay? His infinite goodness. But the right response, as we see with Moses, is to realize that we're undeserving sinners and to present ourselves as living sacrifice. It's complete surrender. It's complete submission and it's complete sacrificing all of ourselves, our work, our homes, our families, our relationships, our stock investments, our cars, our children, our shoes, every aspect of our life, okay, to be presented completely, to come under, not over, under the power of and the authority, and the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so that's why Paul in Titus, when we get to Titus, he opens that letter. Have a look at Titus, Titus 1. We'll read this together. This is what we did this past week at Lagos. Okay. I slammed you with 40 minutes on these four verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in Timothy. Forgive me. Okay. Paul, a servant or slave of God, a doulos of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith. So Paul presents the gospel in the beginning, but everything that Paul is, everything that Titus is, their relationship, their friendship, it has all been sacrificed and come under the power and the authority and the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he is a slave in the household of God. Everything that he has has come under the authority of the Lord. And so he's laying the foundation. Everything that I'm going to write to you in Titus, and this is going to cover your leadership, your church leadership. This is going to cover your homes and your family and the roles of women and the roles of men. This is going to cover your outreach and your work in the community. It all comes under the presence and the authority and the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what's the beauty of that, brothers and sisters? It means when you go to work, it's an act of worship. If you are walking in the Spirit and you are coming under the authority and the power and the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith. 
Now when Mark Chen wakes up in the morning and he's cranky and irritable because he hasn't slept well and things are noisy and children are running, that might not be an act of worship. That can be very much an act of Mark Chen walking in the flesh. Okay? And so that's why my exhortation to you all is, look, start your day and end your day with the Lord. And this is the importance that we come in to 1 Timothy 2. What's essential for worship is the ministry of the word and prayer. Because that is the way in which God reminds us of his power and his authority and his presence in our lives. And prayer is important because prayer is a humble dependence on the will of God. It's us coming and saying, I don't have it together. I'm not in control. Lord, I need your help. Would you come in? Not my will be done, but your will be done. There are two very simple building blocks. Now, we know this. You hear this over and over again. Why don't we do it? Well, our flesh resists it. The world resists it. And Satan resists it. Every aspect of this life desires to drive a wedge between you and your relationship with Christ. And if it can turn the lights down a little bit, it succeeded. Oh, it's hard to see, it's hard to see, why bother? As opposed to, let's go to Christ and ask Him to turn the lights up a little. And let's wait for Him to do what He says He's going to do. And let's trust in His Word, that in His time and His way, His Word, the power, the authority, and the presence of Christ is going to transform my life, but not in the world's way, but the Lord's way. It's going to transform our worship. So it comes down to really faith that comes and hearing comes, right? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God or the word of Christ. And so that's why on Sunday mornings when we gather, this is the principle. Why do we do what we do on Sunday mornings? And I want to try and draw a connection here, okay? For what you do on the job and what you do at home. When we gather here, we sing the Word of God, we pray the Word of God, and then hopefully we proclaim, especially on Sundays, is devoted to a gospel proclamation of who Jesus is according to His Word. Why do we do that? So that you have more information? No. Because Scripture tells me, by faith, as the believers of God gather, you are experiencing the presence, the power, and the authority of God in Christ through the gospel that changes your life and that attracts attention from your children and your friends and your co-workers. And as you take that with you to work as an act of worship where your life is surrendered, my employer's not treating me well, my co-workers are giving me a hard time, I'm not being paid for the time that I put in. Ah, Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. A burning bush is planted in that place of work. And some lost sheep, not all, will come and say, what is going on here? Why is this bush burning, but it doesn't burn up? And an opportunity comes for the gospel to be proclaimed and for people to come face to face with Christ in and through you and to go away transformed and changed. Brothers and sisters, that's worship. Can I have my next slide, please? Thank you. Bear with me for one minute while I... Okay. 
Why don't we experience this more often? Okay, is the question. There's a war in our hearts and in our world and in our city. Okay, and the temptation always, and we all are like this, myself included. Okay, we're more a product of the culture than we care to admit. Where our worship, what we serve, and our responses are to the glories of this world rather than the glories of Christ. And as a result, what can frequently drive our worship experiences are my desires, my expectations, my goals for my spiritual growth. I should be here. The church should be here. We should be doing, you know, all of those benchmarks. My desires, my expectations. And all Satan does when people come into the church is he exchanges your evil ones. My desire was to get high on cocaine. And he just brings it in. Okay, well, my desire is to get high on ministry. Okay? But my desires, my expectations, my experiences. And that becomes the measure of whether we have good worship or not. But because it's not the gospel, because it's not Christ, it eventually ends up breaking down. It does not last. It is not a burning bush that burns and never goes out. No, we burn up in that. And we break in that. And our lives are chaotic. Okay? We believe false gospels more than we care to admit. Because that's a gospel all about my experiences in me and what I can do. It's not based on the power and authority and presence of God and His Word. Okay? Where Christ is taking us, and this is where trials and tests come in, but ultimately it, He brings us to the cross, where we come to that point where we say, look, I can't do it. I can't sustain it. I can't fix it. I don't have a righteousness of my own. Only Christ can save me. Only Christ can help me. Only Christ can sustain me. And so you'll see in your spiritual journeys, just like, and it's not just me, go get the Pilgrim's Progress books, okay? In the Pilgrim's Progress books, you'll see that Christian goes through times where it's like, it's great, and then guess what? It falls apart, and yet God picks him up, takes care of him, and gets him where he needs to be. And there's that constant pattern. Even Carl Hargrove, when he was visiting, said, Mark, you'll go through seasons that are hard, but then God will give you rest. You'll go through seasons that are hard, and, then, and God is moving you each step of the way. Okay? Well, we see through this where the Lord is taking us is His power, His presence, and His authority in the trials and the difficulties is drawing us closer to Him. And he's using it to reshape and reorder our lives so every aspect of our lives reflects and burns with the fire of the Lord. So that's why you know, and all of you have experienced this, you'll go through seasons where work is hard, but family seems okay, and church seems okay. Then you'll go through seasons where church is hard, okay? And fortunately, work is okay. And then you'll go through seasons where work can be kind of difficult. And then sometimes we go through where all three of them the pistols are coming out, okay? But through all of those things, the Lord, what he's doing is he's mortifying the flesh and he's cutting off those things that dim the lights and he's enabling us through faith to begin to see things more clearly, chief among them, the beauty and the glory, the presence and the power and the authority of Christ in you. That is our goal for worship, brothers and sisters. Can I have my last slide? And I will tie up quickly with this, I believe. And then we'll have a time to pray 
And then for those who want to stick around, I will, I will try and answer some questions. I've talked about this. Okay. Here's my not-so-hidden agenda. My hope and prayer for Cornerstone, okay, is that out of Cornerstone, the aim here is this is meant to equip everyone first for your devotional time. What is it that makes a quality devotional time? It's the promise of God that as you come to Him with a heart of faith and in repentance, the Lord will not cast you aside and He will reveal Himself to you through His Spirit and through His Word. Now there's some days you come in and, and we don't feel it because our flesh is strong. We're tired, we're exhausted, things have been crazy, you wake up. But that doesn't change the truth of the Gospel because the truth of the Gospel is not based on how you feel in the morning, it's based on what Christ has done. The cornerstone of your devotional time is the word and prayer. Individually on your own, but then with others as well, because we're called to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Okay? But it's about coming under the authority of the Lord and by faith receiving all that the Lord has to say, including the things that we need to repent over, the things we need to rejoice over, and the things that we need to do. That's vertical between us and God. Very simply, men, we need to shepherd our wives. It's not rocket science, but it's hard because it's a battle with the flesh. If I come and try and, ha- and I've done this many times, have a Bible school with my kids, or have a devotional time with Julie, and I'm stressed out of my gourd about all the things that are going on in church, they do not get the presence of Christ, they get the presence of my flesh. And it's a discouragement to them. And it's happened. And I have to go to the Lord and I have to repent and ask. And I realize now, man, why do I not pray more privately before I come to shepherd my wife and my children? Why do I assume all I have to do is say, hey guys, get over here, let's go, let's, let's, okay. Hey, how come you're not behaving? Why aren't you quiet? Guys, this is the Lord's time. This is the Lord's time. And I'm like, But God's called me to be the burning bush in our home and our family. Not my children who it's unclear whether they're saved or not. And he's laid that upon me. How dare I not come before the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do this. It's Christ, not me, that makes Bible school and shepherding my wife sweet and good. It's not my seminary education or my training in biblical counseling that makes this time good. It's you. It's your presence that gives sweetness and goodness. It's your presence. It's your power. It's your authority. And so the Lord's convicted me. And in repentance, I've said, man, I need to pray for my children and my wife in my devotional time, and I need to pray even more so for those times. Because when we gather together, I'm not only contending against my flesh, I'm contending against the flesh of my children as well. And I can get, I'll tell you, I'll share with you, I get frustrated. Now frustration is a symptom of pride. Ethan, Josh, why, why, why aren't you taking this seriously? This is the word of the Lord, this is the word of the Lord. Well, listen, who knows? God's called me to come and proclaim the gospel in the face of opposition boldly. He's called me to surrender my life even if I'm to be crucified like Christ. Why can't I deal with that with my kids? 
Why do I have those expectations? Well, because I'm their father, they should, hey, if I can't be a missionary to my kids, I can't go to Columbia, I can't go anywhere. If I can't show patience and grace and goodness by faith, and where does that come? Well, I'm going to trust in the Lord. They might be having a bad day. They might be strong in the flesh. They might be all of those different things. But I believe that the word of the Lord regardless will plant a seed. And maybe not today and maybe not tonight. Maybe when they're 35 or 40 after I'm long gone. That seed gets watered by someone else and there's fruit and they come to know the Lord. Do I believe it? Well faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of the Lord. And our faith is in Christ, not ourselves, our methods, or how competent, or like Moses. God, I can't speak. I can't do it. And God gets upset with him finally because it's not about you, Moses. It's about the Lord. So fathers, I want to give you courage. It's not about being a pastor or a competence or knowing all the generations of grace. It's about trust that Christ is in you and he's sufficient And everything you need to lead a worship in the home, He's given you, if indeed He is your Lord and Savior. By extension, our aim, and I'm going to ask the church to pray for this in a few moments, is for us to restart our children's ministry. It's been closed for a few years with COVID and other things. Our aim here for the children's ministry is not to set up another program. Goodness knows we don't need enough programs. We just looked at it at admin. We've got anywhere between 18 and 22 programs that we know of. And we've got three guys to juggle the balls and several administrators to juggle the balls and it's not enough. The purpose of the children's ministry is not to replace what a father is to do in the home. Our purpose of our children's ministry as we restarted is to equip the people in this church, but specifically the fathers, to equip them for the work of ministry in the ministry of the word and prayer very simply, so that they are built up to shepherd with the gospel their homes. So this ministry is not designed primarily for the children, it's designed for the men and for the fathers of the church. And by extension, you all and anyone who wants to come and help. So fathers, Hopefully, Lord willing, beginning in March and then April and May. For three Sundays of of the month, we're going to do a children's program partway during the church service where children can go for families who want to do that. The first Sunday of the month, the children will stay here with us. Why do we do that? Okay, Because I believe whether my children intellectually understand what's being said where the gospel is proclaimed, where the Holy Spirit is present, they are coming face to face with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they walk away with that. It's not about intellectual understanding. Okay? But we also want to provide an outreach to equip our parents so that they are competent to counsel and so that they are able to take the gospel out. And so three Sundays a month we'll have the opportunity where there will be one song, one memory verse, one prayer, and one simple Bible story that's taken from the gospel book that we gave out at our anniversary banquet, which walks us through from Genesis to Revelation, the gospel. A 12-year-old can do that. But we're doing it in a way so that we can do it together simply to be faithful to the Lord, to bring the gospel to our children, and to show everyone 
You don't have to go to seminary in order to lead a worship that burns with the fire of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, I'm asking you as a church to pray for that. And fathers, there will be something that will come out in a few weeks. And I'm going to ask you seriously, if you're a father of a child at this church, I want you to seriously consider whether it's right before the Lord for you not to participate and help in one of those Sundays once a month with Kevin, with Ted, and with myself, okay, to join us for that very simple gospel devotional, something that you can reproduce in your own home. Okay? So that's where we're going. So here ends the lesson. I'm going to ask you, it's 12.55, if we could take 10 minutes, okay, to have a time of prayer about our own worship. Let's break up into small groups, have a little chance to interact, and let's pray about what we've heard and come to the Lord in prayer. And then I'll bring you back at the end of that. And for those who are able to stay or want to stay, we have one question which I'll address, okay?